0: Salutations, everybody! Welcome to the best damn Move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campia Show. Coming from right here on my YouTube channel, I'm of course your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around to so talk about our favorite things in the world: movies, movie news, TV streaming, and all sorts of good things. Speaking of good things, writer, director, producer. An all-around philanthropist, Mr. Robert
1: Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? Well, I aspire to be a philanthropist. (laughs) Other than to myself, I I don't know what other worthy causes I can serve. But one day, John, it's Comic-Con Eve. It is Comic Con Eve, and it's and it's weird because
0: I'm not going. Uh, We canceled our panel kind of the last second um, and we're not going this year and it's, I hope it's great. You know, I I have a feeling it's going to be great. I hope everybody down there has a good time. Now you guys might notice that we are not joined today by Chris Carr because Chris booked a, a pretty good gig. Yeah, so that she's going to be working on today. So we will welcome back Chris tomorrow when she comes back in. But it's just going to be me, Robert, and the guys at the table. Yep. Ray Ora joining you guys in the live chat today. <laughs> Ray, how you doing?
2: Hey, happy birthday to Aries in the chat and Gill Studios once again. Happy birthday, guys.
0: And, of course, running the show today, producer Jonathan Voiko. Jonathan, how you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good. Just waiting on those Netflix earnings.
0: Oh, yeah, the Netflix yeah. earnings wow. call. Which, I mean, today, I, I don't think it's... And exaggerations to say today could be an apocalypse i mean it depend. it could be not bad it could be apoc- a completely apocalyptic
1: but not like the movie this is the end
0: no no not in a fun way okay not in a fun seth rogan kind of <laughs> kind of way we'll talk about that a little bit later guys good to have you here and here's how today's show is going to go we're going to break the show down into two parts in the first half of the show we're going to talk about some predetermined topics then in the second half of the show we're going to take your live comments and questions how to get a live comment or question on the show that's easy number one you got to be watching live number two when we get to the end of the main topics we'll announce that we're opening up the super chats we only leave them open for a couple of minutes at that point you can fire in your thoughts comments observations theories questions whatever and we will address those in the second half of the show also want to let you guys know a little bit of housekeeping here if you need your daily fix of the john campion show but you can't always be in front of a youtube video maybe you're out on a jog or you're on a bus good news There's an audio-only version of the show that we simply call the John Campy Show Podcast. Just go into your favorite podcasting app of choice, search for it, and subscribe to it today. Also, there's a Mailbag podcast feed as well. We keep that separate as well. So if you guys want to listen to Mailbag, go ahead and subscribe to that today as well. Okay, guys. With that all down, let's move into a couple of off-the-tops here, shall we? Mm. And our first off-the-top is this. You know, Rob, there's been a lot of talk going around the world of comic book movies and things like that. Things like, things Marty Scorsese would say, like it's <laughs> not real cinema and, and probably poor choice of words. We're all big fans of Marty Scorsese, but not the not the best choice of words, maybe. Perhaps not. Um, friends for Coppola, things like that. Even some actors. Ethan Hawke, even at one point, said, yeah, the, the comic book stuff, I don't really know. And then, of course, Ethan Hawke, handsome Hawke, ends up playing the antagonist in Moon Knight. And he says he has had a terrific experience doing it, but he said something rather interesting about it. And he said this. He said, you know, um, they're very, very actor-friendly. Marvel is super actor-friendly. They just might not be director-friendly, which you and I have talked about uh, many times before. Actually, this is the, the, the direct quote that he said about that. Um, that group of people at Marvel is extremely actor-friendly. They just might not be director-friendly. And that could be what Scorsese and Coppola are talking about. But they love actors, Hawk said. I think Kevin Feige had a great thing happen with Robert Downey Jr. And he understood that Downey's passion was large in part to the success. When actors are excited by a part, our audiences get excited about watching them. I think that's an astute observation. I, I think that's always been true. doesn't mean you should let actors do whatever they want to do. It's not their film. But I think it's true of anybody when somebody's excited about the work they're doing, the best comes out. Now, he goes on to talk a lot about um, his co-star in the film Oscar Isaac and just saying, listen, what Oscar did in this show was bonkers. He, He just he just gushes about how good of a performance Oscar Isaac had. And it's true. He did. And he also kind of defends a little bit about what Scorsese was saying. Because he goes on to talk about how, listen, uh, this is what it says. It needs to be said. This is Ethan Hawke saying this. It needs to be somebody in the community saying, hey, everybody, this is not Fanny and Alexander, Hawke said, noting that he doesn't mind directors such as Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola being critical of Marvel movies. If you keep reviewing these movies that are basically made for 14 year olds like they're Fanny and Alexander or Winter Light, then who the hell's going to make Winter's Light? And and to a degree, now, again, while I still disagree with what Martin Scorsese said and how he was saying it, I get where Ethan Hawke is coming from, because sometimes in our excitement and our love of, like, comic book fair, whether it's, you know, I think the Batman is the number two best movie of the year, Uh, I I love my comic book movies, all that kind of stuff, we can sometimes confuse that with the fact that, hey, guys, I mean, this isn't, you you know, this isn't the Godfather, what I know, right? This, this isn't, you know, uh, good fellas. This isn't, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. Like the, the this isn't, it, it's a different and they're great and they're enjoyable and we love them and we have great fun with them. And I wish Marty Scorsese had kind of said it like that instead at the time. It's like, Hey guys, like these can be great fun and yay. They're making all kinds of money, but let's not pretend that these movies are on the same level as the truly great Artur great all-time movies. they're different things. You've done a really good job, actually, Rob, in the past, of kind of highlighting the differences between those, and, and I think that's been really good. so But the thing that stood out to me the most, though, is, again, something that we've said a lot around here is that for all the people who complain about studios shouldn't interfere with the director's work, I say, "Do you like Marvel movies? Yeah. There is no studio that interferes with what a director wants to do more than Marvel. Like none. And I think that's kind of what, what we saw Ethan Hawke getting ahead here. Anyway, you saw this article from Ethan Hawke and heard some of his statements. What stands out to you?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm a staunch MCU fan, John. I mean, I would, I would, I've said, and I'll say it right now, I think Infinity War and Endgame are two of the finest examples of fantasy filmmaking of all time. Wildly entertaining. They passed the Godfather test, which is whenever I turn the Godfather on, I have to watch it. Whenever I turn Infinity War Endgame on, I have to watch them for talk about plot holes in Endgame and the quantum realm and Professor Hulk and the things you might. I don't care. <laughs> I love those movies. I, I, I could watch them till the cows come home. But here's the thing. We know that the MCU is produced more like a television show where the people on a television show, the, the God on television shows are the, the creators and the showrunners, the executive producers. Directors come in. And they're not auteurs. They come in, they sometimes direct an episode or two. If they're good, they'll be asked back. But they have to adhere to what the show is. Like, unless you have like Ryan Johnson coming in and doing the Fly episode of Breaking Bad, he probably, they probably pitched it to him and said, do what you want, make it crazy. But the showrunners are in charge of the show, not the directors. Right. The directors have to give the showrunners what they want and what they need to continue on their ongoing storyline. That's what the MCU is. And I think, Kevin Feige knows this. It was done that way by design. So when they bring on a James Gunn, they don't want to tell James Gunn what to do. They want James Gunn to bring the James Gunn of it all to what they're doing. But James Gunn also understands, I am working within a structure that is this wide. We got 30 I am MC creating bodies. but one piece of a larger puzzle. A hundred percent. Exactly right. And they want James Gunn to bring his sensibility to right. it. And he does, you know, when... Star-Lord's putting up his, you know, I mean, (laughs) that's all all James Gunn. It's all James Gunn writing and directing, but James Gunn understands because he's worked in the business for 30 years, 40 years, he gets it. So it doesn't surprise me. I think there's a lot of directors that might not quite understand that, especially less experienced directors Mm. because we see now a lot of feature directors are jumping into television and they kind of understand all that. And I think Ethan Hawke's probably... Exactly right. Because he's used to doing feature films where you have auteurs. Even look at Black uh, Black Phone. God, you know, he's so good uh, in Black Scott, Phone. Scott Derrickson and, and Robert Cargill, I mean, they work together. They're like a team. When when, when when Scott Derrickson makes Black Phone, it's his movie. You know, you can tell. he's worked. He worked for Marvel. Then he goes back and he does a movie like Black Phone. Those are different kinds of directors. And I think that people need to understand that. And I think that's a that is a valid way to make movies. Anyway, guys, question is for you.
0: Handsome Hawk is saying that Marvel is awesome towards actors. Uh, maybe not as director-friendly. I don't know. What do you take away from a statement on that? Whatever that is, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top here today, shall we? And I'm gonna be honest with you, this mm. was an off the top that I wasn't even sure we would or should even talk about, but it's so big that it at least needs to be addressed. And that is, of course, the Rolling Stone article about Zack Snyder, the whole Release the Snyder Cut movement and, and all that kind of stuff that, that came out yesterday. Now, let me preface all this by saying that we are not endorsing or validating or confirming anything that is in this article. This article is written by a respected journalist out of a respected trade and Rolling Stone magazine, all that kind of stuff. But we are neither saying any of it is what is purported in this thing is true or is not true. But it is a very interesting and I would say dark uh, portrayal of a movement that is being lost in the headline of the thing. So uh, Jonathan, let's bring up the, the, the article here, the headline here. So basically there's this article and the problem with this, this article to me is that the headline is not the headline. No, like the headline of this article is exclusive. Fake accounts fuel the Snyder Cut online army, and that is such a small, almost I dare I say irrelevant point or one of the the points in this article. Because even when it comes to the fake accounts. That's something that's been around. I mean, there was already studies done by cybersecurity places that showed that, yes, there was fake bots being used in the academy voting for, for those stupid, like, non-awards that they gave out at the academy this year. That, that, that's fine. That, that's a separate issue. So, yes, it says there were other cyber firms employed to find out about this. And they said that 13%, 13% of the online release of Snyder Cut thing was fake and bot driven and all that kind of stuff. Okay, let's just say that's true. Let, let's just say that's true. That means eighty seven percent of it was legit. Yeah, it's it's irrelevant, and and so that's why I don't understand why you lead, especially when you read this article, why you lead with uh, some fake accounts fueled the Snyder Cut online thing. Yeah, thirteen percent. That's that's almost only one out of every 10, almost one out of every 10. I mean, so I, I, I'm not worried about it. I mean, that, that part's irrelevant where this article does get a little bit disturbing is how Tatiana Siegel, who, who is the, the journalist who wrote the article and obviously spent months working on this is she lays out a timeline of events that when certain things in a, in a timeline are laid out become kind of a little bit disturbing. Again, if true, we're not validating anything that's in this article. We're not confirming any of it. We're just talking about what's in the article. But it starts with a really interesting point, which is this, was the, you know, Zack Snyder did not want uh, Jeff Johns and Jonathan Berg's, who did not support the Snyder cut. They they didn't, they, they thought that Snyder's version of the film initially was not going to work, and they, Kind of, they also encouraged the change of direction before the theatrical cut came out, right? So when the Snyder cut was getting ready to come out, Zack Snyder wanted Johns and Berg's name taken off the movie as producers on it. Even though they were producers for a lot of the film, but he wanted their names taken off as producers. Hey, that, nothing wrong with that. If, if you feel a certain name shouldn't be a credit on a film, There is nothing wrong with saying, I don't think that name should be credited. You might be right, you might be wrong, but I think it's perfectly okay that that a director voiced that. Nothing wrong with that. But here's where it gets really interesting. So Jeff Johns and and, uh, Jonathan Berg, they refused. They weren't going to take their names off it. So this is where this article gets a little bit interesting. And it, it says this, this is in the very first paragraph. The Snyders admit, that they did ask the studio to intervene after a personal plea to John, to Berg was ignored on June 26, 2020 Snyder had had enough. According to multiple sources familiar with the matter, Snyder confronted an executive in the studio's post-production department and issued a threat. Jeff and John are dragging their feet on taking their names out of my cut. Now I will destroy them on social media.
1: Now that, I will destroy is that, them. That, is that that's hearsay though that that yeah, actual that, quote yeah, yeah was, that quote is not... this is
0: they're saying they have <clears throat> the 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 writer of the article says they have several sources who are close to the situation yeah. and the executive who said that that's what they said that, that I'm going to destroy them on social media now and basically that sets up the reason that's in the first paragraph is because it sets up this very long article yeah that outlines a pattern of weaponizing social media and using it as a weapon to attack anybody that stood in their way. Now, there is a difference between a positive online movement that wants to try to accomplish something good. There's a difference between that and saying, let's accomplish our goals using the tactics of... I don't know what the proper word to use here. Let's use online violence to try to get what we want. Let's attack the people who are standing in our way. Let's not try to talk about the benefits of what we're trying to get. Let's not talk about, you know, a real positive thing. Let's weaponize and try to go on. And basically the rest of this article, true or not, the rest of this article lays out in a direct timeline the act of weaponizing to attack. They, the article goes on to talk a lot about how shortly after this event, certain online accounts got set up. Suddenly pictures started to get published of certain WB executives being beheaded and shared actively around other WB executives in Ku Klux Klan outfits sitting around. There were, there were some executives who just simply had to get off social media because they were being targeted and all that kind of stuff. It got so bad that Warner Brothers had to employ cybersecurity to get involved to start investigating a lot of this. There's also a really disturbing implication that gets made in the article. And again, this is what the article says. I'm simply telling you what the article says. But they lay out a timeline that shortly after Zack Snyder became unhappy with Jeff Johns and John Berg, it was very shortly after that that Ray Fisher began his attacks on Jeff Johns and John Berg as well. A little bit later, when the Snyder Cut was was greenlit to actually be made and completed and put on HBO Max. Walter Hamada was now in his position of authority and Walter Hamada was trying to block them from using Martian Manhunter because at the time, the article claims Warner Brothers and Hamada had other plans for Martian Manhunter and they did not want Martian Manhunter used in the Snyder cut. This upset Zack Snyder, according to the article. And just days after that, Ray Fisher began his public attacks on Walter Hamada, making accusations, and again, just repeating what's in the article here, making accusations that Warner Brothers hired an outside law firm, an outside organization headed by a former federal judge to come in and do a third-party independent investigation of the claims, and that third-party independent investigation came back and says we found no wrongdoing by Walter Hamada. He wasn't even in a position of power during the time that the original Justice League was being made, blah, 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 blah. But they set up this timeline that Snyder gets upset with Johnsonburg, Ray Fisher starts attacking them online. Zack Snyder gets upset with Walter Hamada, Ray Fisher starts making accusations, starts attacking Walter Hamada online. Uh, and then shortly after that, Ray Fisher gets cast in a big role in Rebel, Rebel Moon. And again, total coincidence? Maybe. Absolutely. Maybe. Uh, But again, they are painting a picture in this article going bit by bit by bit with the whole term of them weaponizing or the allegations of them weaponizing fandom. The writer of the article even highlights an, an incident where she had written an article about something going on there. And Zack Snyder, she alleges, contacted her and said, you know, you should take out a couple of these sentences it was almost like a mobster pushing somebody for protection money. She said, yeah, hey, it'd be a real shame if your nice window got broken. Because she claims that Zack Snyder said to her, hey, you know, you should probably take these sentences out because, you know, my online followers can be pretty rough. My online finds can be pretty rough. She refused to take out the sentences. She says, like clockwork, immediately as soon as she posted that, she started getting attacked. And it's, it's funny, too, because once this article got put out... I jumped online and I noticed that instead of anybody addressing the content of the article, people just started attacking the writer of the article. Instead of actually addressing things in the article, they just attacked the article. I've said before, by the way,
1: way, proving much of the author of the point. Yeah,
0: right. Pretty much proving her point. point. You know, I've, I've often said before that it is a sign that your position is weak When somebody says something that you are incapable of addressing and being incapable of addressing what was said, you have to attack the person who said it. And I just saw basically that unleashed last night. Now, there's a lot more in this article. Oh yeah. There there is a lot more in this article about peep about threats and people having to get offline and all this kind of stuff about the weaponizing of online social media. And it's it's a dark it's a it's a it paints a dark picture. And here's the thing, I don't think this is something that's you and I were talking about this before the show started today. I don't think that's something that's limited to comic book movies or the Snyderverse or I think this is something that is very much part of almost every fandom whether it's Star Wars fandom whether it's video game fandom music fandom collectible fandom sneaker fandom music fandom you name it whatever there's a fandom for I think this is something that is potentially a problem Um, and again I just when I read the article I thought man I, I hope a lot of this isn't legit but The very fact that a lot of people, instead of reading the article, just jump to she's being paid to write this or she's just lying. It's like, well, you know, she's not a nobody fucking loser YouTuber like me who's just going, I'm just going to say whatever. I mean, she's a legit journalist at a legit trade who put months of research into this. Now, that doesn't mean all the things that she was told was true. I'm not proposing that they are, but I'm saying it's 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 a type of article that I think anybody who is remotely thoughtful needs to read. And take a look at how we all behave online and social media and recognize, you know, whether you are a detractor of Zack Snyder, whether you are a supporter of Zack Snyder, whatever. That's irrelevant. I think there's a lot of stuff in this article that speaks is a real warning sign it's it's the beacons of gondor that are being lit here saying there's a real problem with the way that we use and utilize and act in social media and i think this just highlights it all anyway i just wanted to give a full kind of outline of the story here rob but you you were the one who kind of brought this article
1: to my attention what stood out to you in it well first of all i want to say i think you're absolutely right about the fact that forget that this is about this incident This is about a much wider thing that's happening in our society this just happens to be an incredibly well-researched piece that really details the danger of social media and how it can be weaponized which i think is really important so i wish people would take your feelings out of the snyder situation but when you read this think about it as a much wider reaching commentary on our society i think that's that that needs to be said however i thought this was fascinating because I I look at it from the creative standpoint, like what Zack Snyder did. So Zack Snyder made Batman v. Superman. Right. And I really like the ultimate cut of Batman v. Superman. I did not like the theatrical version. And from what we understand, Warner Brothers thought this movie was great. Then they had second thoughts. They didn't back their filmmaker. Would they have to cut the movie down? Same thing happened to David Ayer's Suicide Squad. They brought in a trailer company to recut the movie. So I think that where this all really started was with a studio that was not collaborating like, say, the MCU does. But, but the, the DC movies have more of an auteurist vision. But the studio was not collaborating. They were not working in tandem with their filmmaker. They didn't do it with Zack Snyder on Batman v Superman and Justice League as well. So we saw a lot of dysfunction at that level. And that's where I thought all of this started. And then, of course, if I was Zack Snyder, I'd be pissed, man. I made Watchmen. I made 300 for you people. I made Batman v Superman that still made 800-something million dollars. So he was somebody who had done good work with the studio. The studio basically became adversarial with him, I think, needlessly so. And that's where all of this started to spin out of control. Let's hire Joss Whedon. I can't even imagine what it was like to be Zack Snyder and have Joss Whedon be brought in and have this project you've been working on for years taken away from you. That was horrible. And that was where it began. So I think the fault of all of this, it does have a trigger. It has a, And I blame that studio brass for the beginnings of this. However, that said, what we saw, I mean, we as fans, John, I don't care what goes on with studio politics, nor should I care about, I don't care. All I want to do is see the damn movie. And I wanted to see Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's what I wanted. I think all these fans, that's what, really, that's how it started. But when you're sitting at home and you don't understand how the business of entertainment works, we think we do, but we don't really. So you have all these people that are trying to support, in a way, I think in their minds, it's like fandom was trying to do good. Like, we want we want to see Zack Snyder's movie. And it should
0: be noted, I think, even in light of this article, I think the the vast majority of people who were involved in the release the snyder cut movement probably exactly that was their motivation yeah and i want to
1: see like you and i were attacked i'm like bro no one's going to make this movie this movie is never going to happen because Justice League came out because it's never happened anyway but when hbo max came along you and i both said no who's going to pay for this how if they're going to make a snyder cut and we said it's going to be expensive it's not done The cut's not done. No. no, We said that for years. This article talks about- which everybody told us we were wrong, that it was done, but it was clearly not done. And they get into the actual money here. The first money was going to be $60 million. Then it was $13 million more because Zack Snyder, by the way, I love this part. He's out there shooting more footage in his goddamn backyard. I'm like, good for you, bro. That's like something I would do. Don't ask for permission. Beg for forgiveness. Shoot the stuff you want. I love that. Ben Affleck, come back here. You know, uh, Jared Leto, come here. Play Doomsday. Doomsday Joker that now I've got a six scale figure that so he does that but he's he's also fighting the studio so this game started to play that really and everyone was at fault it seems to me that everyone is is culpable in certain ways about this and I think it was an an unfortunate experience all the way around now as a fan I love my Zack Snyder's 4k (laughs) blu-ray and I'm glad to have it but was it worth it at the end of the day, was it worth the cost in human misery? That,
0: that the, the price tag that had to yeah. pay. Hey, Ray, you were going to say something?
1: Oh, Myrta Mur- pointed out, I,
2: all this stuff is flying over my head, but uh, Zack Snyder he, he made a post today. Yes. On his Ver- Vero account. Did you see it? Yes. Oh, okay. The one with the picture, if I retreat, whatever, because uh, Jonathan has it. I don't know if you wanted to take a look at that. Well, not, not yet. Not oh, okay. yet.
0: But I mean, this is, but it goes a little bit deeper too. Because while while movies like Godzilla vs Kong and Wonder Woman '84 were outperforming just outperform Justice League, what started happening is that the weaponization of that movement continued, and you started seeing all the review bombing of like Godzilla versus Kong. And that's Adam Wingard. That's Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard. Poor Adam Wingard, who had nothing to do with this drama, and the article writes that Adam Wingard reached out to Zack Snyder to ask him to beg him, call off the dogs, like. This is my movie and I'm getting review bombed by your followers to which, according to the article, Zack Snyder's response was, I don't control my my fans.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Adam Wingard is one of us. You know, he is a fan. He's a filmmaker. He's worked his way up. Godzilla versus Kong was was his leap forward into what all filmmakers dream of. If you're a genre film fan and you wanted to make horror movies and he comes out of that, this is his shot, man. You know, and and this is coming out of a pandemic. It's getting a theatrical release. And Adam Wingard, I really like the guy. I think he's a stand-up guy. I've loved his work in the past. And to have read this in this article, I'm like, God damn, man. I would have been like, if I had known that, I would have asked people. I said, look, Adam Wingard's one of us. You're going after a fan who, who, who has achieved a lifelong goal of making a giant monster movie. I mean, you can't imagine it. I'm sure Adam Wingard, in his mind... Like, this was the greatest thing that could ever possibly happen to him as far as his career is concerned. And it worked out for the best, ultimately. But can you imagine, John? You know how hard it is to make anything? Here he's, he's getting, he gets his shot, and suddenly he has to deal with his own audience. People that should be rooting for him. Going after him for what? Why? Yeah, it's... Because a studio gave him hundreds of millions of dollars to make giant monster movies? I mean, I would have been pissed if I were him.
0: Yeah, and and I'm I'm sure he was, and I'm sure he was upset. And and again, I think more than anything else, this is you. You've already mentioned this. This is really more of a cautionary tale about how we all. And listen, I I don't know that there's any of us with clean hands in this, to be honest with you. No, I think this. Sh- I think all of us should be looking at how maybe we engage online and weaponize um, what's said again, because I, I doubt any of us have totally clean hands. But the, a lot of the stuff about the, the you talked about the cost in misery. That was that was inflicted on people through this. It's it's really unfortunate. And it's uh, look, I
1: think ultimately I would say this, that and, you know, there's an upcoming Designing Hollywood podcast where I interview Ellen Mirajnik, who's one of the greatest uh, uh, costume designers ever. By the way, uh, the latest Designing Hollywood with the
0: designer of Peacemaker is actually up on the channel right now. Make sure you go and check that out. Peacemaker. And One of the best things, best thing Warner Brothers ever put on television.
1: Ellen told me, if, if you look at her credits, she did Fail Attraction. She did Wall Street. I mean, she worked for all these. She just finished Oppenheimer for Christopher Nolan. Mm. And she said the problem with the business now is that there are not the decisive leaders that there used to be. She, and then she said, working for somebody like Christopher Nolan, that guy is a leader. She was like, it was like working in the 80s. When mm. you work with directors, he knows what he wants. He doesn't have to see a hundred different versions of something. And, she's, and a lot of these costume designers who've worked for a long time have told me the same thing. That the people who work in the business now, they don't believe in themselves enough. They don't know. And, and she's like, this has become a problem. And I think that studios and their filmmakers used to work more in tandem. You know, they used to, because the studio heads, there was like one person now with corporate, you know, it's tough. They, they, there's too much, there's too many cooks in the room and that's what we need. And I think that this started with a failure at the top at Warner Brothers that created a cascade effect.
0: Anyway, guys, we're already half hour into the show and we're not even out of the off the top. So we need to move on here. But but the question is for you. Have you guys had a chance to see this article and, and give it a read? What about it stands out to you? Do you see it as a cautionary tale about the weaponization of social media and stuff like that? However you see it, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we're going to move into our main topics here today. But before we do, we want to take a second and thank one of the sponsors of today's show. You know, if you're a content creator, if you aspire to be a content creator, you got to work with these guys, the good folks over at Storyblocks. We want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of today's video, Storyblocks. Guys, I have been an enthusiastic fan and user of Storyblocks for years, I go to them whenever I'm in need of content creation assets like royalty-free music, video clips, or templates for my creative projects ranging anywhere from little editorial videos to my very own full feature documentary. Storyblocks helps you bring your stories, videos, and projects to life without sacrifices due to time, budget, or access to resources. They have over 1 million different story assets ranging from stock videos, audio and music, an in-browser video editor, and they feature pre-designed templates, animations, and outros. Storyblocks uses an affordable subscription model and their unlimited access plans offers well, unlimited video and audio downloads rather than a costly pay-per-clip model. With Storyblocks you'll be able to create more content and more importantly, better content all while using a subscription plan that fits your budget, utilizing unlimited downloads of demand driven and diverse content. So if you're interested in upping your content creation game, head over to www.storyblocks.com slash campia and get started today that's www.storyblocks.com slash campia and a big thank you to our friends at storyblocks for sponsoring this episode of the john campia show all right guys with that down let's get into our main topics here today shall we and how do we select our main topics here in the john campia show well that's simple you guys select them See, whenever you guys come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime, 24-7 over to com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Gambia Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today?
1: John, our first main co- our first main topic comes from Bob J. Pack. Wow, Bobby, <laughs> watching the show. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> uh, John, it seems that you aren't the only person who hates the Munsters trailer because Universal must as well. Director Rob Zombie revealed on Instagram that the film will be dumped on Netflix in September. As we know, Universal has their own streaming service, Peacock, and they didn't even dump it on there. John... <laughs> Why would they sell this to Netflix when it could make one month's billion dollars? <laughs> and how sad are you that you can't watch this cinematic monster piece in theaters?
0: Well, well, thank you, uh, Mr. Chapek, for for writing that. And hey, listen, first thing I want to say right at the top is this. I haven't seen the monsters. I, I mean, and, and as, look, as garbage as the trailer is. I've seen a lot of garbage trailers that I ended up loving. Look, I thought the, the first trailers for Harley Quinn was garbage. Absolute dog crap. It's one of my favorite things on TV now. Like, we all have a big, long list. And yes, I think the Munsters trailer's total refuse. It's awful. But I haven't seen the, sh- the movie. For all I know, I'm going to watch this movie like others that I've seen bad trailers to, and maybe I'll think it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It happens, right? So I cannot criticize the Munsters movie. Can't criticize if you haven't seen it. I can just say it looks terrible because it does look awful. But I've seen lots of things that I thought looked awful that I ended up loving. So let's just say that right up front. But I ain't going to (laughs) surprise. I I ain't going to lie. I mean, it was shocking to me when I saw the news yesterday that this was getting dumped on Netflix. I, I I just couldn't believe it. Like they had talked about a theatrical release and then you figure barring that they put it on Peacock, but apparently they didn't even want it there. Now, listen, not everything made by a studio will necessarily go to that studio streaming service. We've seen other examples of that, right? So it's not like this is the only time something like this has happened, but it's, it's on the rarer side. Mm of things to see anyway this comes to us from the folks over at Screen who wrote the following it was suggested that universal was scouting a september theatrical release window for the movie on monday zombie took to instagram to announce that the monsters will be available to stream on netflix it's not clear if there were always plans uh, to commission the movie for a streaming release or if it were the harsh reactions to the monsters trailer that caused the change of plans Perhaps fans were expecting something different from the movie than what was shown in the trailer, but not much can be done now, save for sprucing up some of the visual quality. The response to the Munsters isn't a good sign for its future, but hopefully the streaming av- uh, availability will earn the movie the audience it deserves. Who says it deserves it? But anyway, we'll get the audience it deserves. Look, I there is a, a thought going around, Rob, that this is, just like they wrote in the article there, that this is being dumped on Netflix is a direct response to the reactions to the trailer, which have been deservingly bad, Mm -hmm. but you and I both know that this industry moves slow. Yes, it does. Especially in corporate towers, things move slow. And I have a hard time believing that within like how, what, a week ago, less than a week ago, the Munsters trailer came out. I have a, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying I'm having a hard time believing that the decision was, we're going to put this thing in theaters. And then within days, they're like, oh my God, drop this thing on Netflix. So I have a feeling it was a longer process than that. Because remember, the folks, these executives, they're not, we like to pretend like they're, they're all morons. Really, they're not. They saw this trailer long before we did. They knew exactly what they had. They knew exactly how we would react to it. So I have a feeling this is probably longer in the works than not. So I, I don't personally subscribe to the idea that it's just being dumped on Netflix because the audience reacted badly to the trailer. Although, it's possible. I personally still can't get over they didn't at least put it on Peacock. I, I mean, I, And I'm sure there's probably a good business reason why. But you'd think in the era of the streaming wars where it's all about exclusive content and you got a piece of exclusive content right here, you'd think they put it on there. But I was a little bit surprised to hear that. Anyway, Rob, you hear about this story. We've been talking about this Munsters thing for a while now. But what do you make of this development?
1: John, well, first of all, you know, the synopsis of this movie has the Munsters. It talks about them traveling to Hollywood. Right. And there is a theory that this is a bit of a troll. And when I first saw this trailer, I didn't understand the fonts. I'm like, what is this font expanding? It looked like it was direct-to-video font from an from a erotic thriller starring Chan- Shannon Tweed from, like, 1994. <laughs> I'm like, what is this font? There's a name uh, that uh, I haven't uh, heard <laughs> pop
0: out once in a while.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, what if this is a trailer for the movie within the movie of The monsters? Because then I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, we you talked know, about that. We, kinda, we talked about it, and we, I think the general consensus was that, that maybe that's part of it. We just don't know yet. Hope that that's the case. Uh, don't know if that's true, because it's bad. Can, can I just mention something quick here? Yeah, please. So our friend,
0: Cliff Stevenson, yes, who is actively works in the industry and was on our last episode of Best Movie, Worst Movie, I was speaking to him on the phone last night, and I, I brought that up. I said, you know, maybe this is a troll. And here's what Cliff said. He goes, it can't be. Uh, and I said, why? He goes, it's one thing to do a troll like that, but you have to follow that up within 24 hours. Right. He said, the problem is, if this is a troll this troll has now buried the project because it's been a week that the world has been talking about how bad this is like you got to put that out and then within 24 hours followed up with just kidding and oh. so like that's made me a little bit dubious
2: it, it, it's actually working reverse for me and i was just telling the chat that i'm gonna watch this it's just my curious <laughs> you and, and amy talk, both and if it's a bad movie then you know what it's a bad movie but I'm I'm kind of getting excited for this movie. For some well, reason,
1: <laughs> if, if we go even further, Ray, is there any uh, uh you know synergy between the fact they announced it's going to Netflix and the Netflix earnings are going to come out today? Oh Well, that's Ooh, the, yeah, that's going to change wow. everything. <laughs> the yeah. monsters is going to save uh, Netflix. No, I, I look, I, I I I have never, to be honest, I've never been a f- I've I love Rob Zombie's music. Like we about. Oh yeah, about. absolutely. His film, you know, I guess I get House of a Thousand Corpses and the Devil's Rejects, a throwback to like 70s exploitation movies and all that. I get that. Not a fan of what he did with Halloween and a lot of his other films. Not, 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 not my taste. Let's put it that way. This, though, however, this looks like a misfire of of major proportions. To me, and I, I'm curious as to how he could do this. That's what I don't understand. He obviously grew up loving it, and I, John, I want to like this project. You will. I want to. <laughs> oh, you you will. will. Oh, you will. When we watch it Yeah, we. <laughs> I mean, <if laughs> live reaction. If there's ever something that we should watch and do a, a watch along, it's or this. It's this. I mean, my God, so I just don't know what to make of it. All I know is that really like Netflix, if Netflix, if you ever needed Netflix to, to verify that perhaps they'll acquire just about anything, you know, what is it? Netflix, you're greenlit. Yeah. The the, great South Park episode. (laughs) I mean, this is it right here. All right, guys,
0: question is for you. What do you make of this situation? We now know that the Munsters is not going to theaters and it's not even going to be on Peacock. It's going to Netflix. Are you surprised with that? Maybe you're not surprised with that. Hey, listen, maybe you're like Hey, listen, hope springs eternal. This could be
1: great. We do. I do have to point out, though, that we do have the Wednesday, the Addams Family Show Wednesday. Yes. So now you're going to have the Munsters and the Addams Family coming back for you retro fans of... Which Zombie posted about on social media. Yeah.
0: These both are coming out, except one looks significantly better than the other. Ooh, but boy. We'll, we'll see. Anyway, guys, whatever your thoughts are, jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two,
1: Rob. What is our second main topic today? John, our second main topic comes to us from Diego. That's topical, too. As I am typing this, the streaming giants are eagerly awaiting the results of Netflix's quarterly earnings. While this normally isn't something we would cover, according to reports, if Netflix dramatically underperforms, it could change the shape of the streaming wars as we know it. I was hoping you could speak on Netflix's quarterly results and what it means for the future of the company. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Diego.
0: Okay. This is this is very today is a very big day. Netflix is doing their quarterly earnings call and it'll happen at end of business today. So what time do we say that was like 4:30 Eastern Standard Time yeah, so like 1:30 between 4
2: and 4:15 4 after the market's time. close.
0: <laughs> yeah, so after the market's close, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. <laughs> now, we know what happened last time. Netflix for the first time in their history had to report a loss of subscribers. A net loss. I mean, they're always gaining and losing subscribers, of course, but overall, a net loss. And that immediately had a profound impact on their stock price, which made Netflix, in a blink of an eye, lose billions of dollars. Today, they're expecting to announce, and I think, what was it? I think it was like 30,000 subscribers they lost. That's a drop in the bucket to the overall number of subscribers they have. Today, the expectation is that they're going to announce a loss, an additional loss of 1 to 2 million subscribers. You got to keep in mind that it was not long ago that Netflix stock price was hovering around $700 a share. As of this morning, I don't know what it is at this Jonathan, maybe you can it's look like this up for
2: it just hit 200, but I think it'll cap. It there. just
0: hit 200, so it's going. To, so it got to 190 last night. It's at 200 right now, which is like it dropped by like over 60 percent. The stock, but if the announcement does come out and is between one and two million, it could be catastrophic. This comes to us from the folks over at The Wrap who write the following: Hollywood is bracing for impact. Netflix financial results on Tuesday could become a defining moment for the entertainment industry's multi-billion dollar streaming arms race. The streaming giant reported its first quarterly subscriber loss in more than a decade in April and warned that there are about 2 million more global customers to go. The reaction was swift, with Netflix stock catering 70% this year to wipe out billions of dollars in market value and unleashing a wave of fear that studios might need to reconsider prioritizing streaming over legacy businesses like television and theaters. This could be the kind of end-of-days biblical prof- prophecy, eschatological moments uh, if you're Bob Chapek, Bob Baskish, or David Zaslav, one analyst who covers the major studios told The Wrap. There is not one meeting or lunch happening in Hollywood over the next few days that isn't a wall of worry. <laughs> Listen, when I said off the top of this that today could be, could be, possibly, apocalyptic, I wasn't exaggerating. Because we saw what just happened when they announced just 30,000 losses of subscribers. 70% decline in stock price. Billions of dollars of value wiped out. And it all comes from a place that you and I have been proposing for years. Streaming cannot be the be-all and end-all. It is just a model that does not work as your primary content device. We've been saying it for years. It just doesn't. And eventually, we've said for years, it's going to hit the wall. Ladies and gentlemen, meet the wall. (laughs) The wall is here. The the wall is here and we're not talking about the night's watch. The wall is or pink here. Floyd or pink Floyd. The wall is indeed here. Now this is where it really becomes a problem. Let's jump over to the campy classroom for a second here because you know, Rob and I were, were talking about this yesterday a little bit about here's where it really becomes a problem because you might ask yourself, okay, Netflix loses 30,000 subscribers. Why does that crash? You know, the, uh, The uh, the stock the stock price so like why should that affect the stock price or anything like that? Because here's the problem: if you're a shareholder, right, what you want, right, you buy shares, not just to have them, because then you might as well just put your money in in a savings account in your bank. You want your um, value, Valky, you want your value to go up, right? If you're a shareholder, you buy stocks. You hold stocks because you want the value of those stocks to go up. You want to see a return on your investment. With streaming, uh, let's see, with streaming, uh, stock equals subs, subscribers, and a growing business is what equals stock value going up. Maintaining is good. But nobody buys stocks and nobody buys shares in Netflix at, say, $190 to go, boy, I hope in two years my stock is still worth $190. (laughs) That's not why anybody does it. In business, the um, stop, I'm going to say the stop of growth, that's terrible English, the stop of growth as, as in biology equals death. When Netflix hits a wall and says, we are no longer gaining subscribers. We are now losing subscribers and we're spending more money in content development than we ever have. Oh, and our most popular content isn't actually our content. It's content that belongs to other studios and they're taking those licenses back now. That equals you. If you're a shareholder, that you no longer value your stock and you want to sell your stock. As more people sell their stock, the value of the stock drops. Hence, we saw what happened when they announced that 30,000 people, a net 30,000 people left Netflix. What happens if they announce that 1 million people leave Netflix or 2 million or God forbid more? Because Netflix warned three months ago, that the next earnings call could have up to 2 million lost subscribers. If they come out... So so the market's already a little bit prepared for that. But if they come out and say it's like 2.5 million lost subscribers, I fear it's going to be apocalyptic for them. I think we could see stock... Jonathan, you know the stock market way better than me. Am I crazy to say if they come out and announce like 2.5 million, that we could see this $200 stock drop to double digits, drop to like $85?
2: Yeah, so i think that some loss is already priced in and i mean the gain that you're seeing right now is like a five percent gain on the stock excuse me um i think that's just some optimism leading into after hours if they underperform more than what's been priced in it's going to be exaggerated so the sell-off in after hours and then tomorrow would be pretty great
0: you guys don't know that Jonathan Wojko is our resident uh, stock expert. Yes. He, he, he teased me all the time. Okay, so it looks bleak and it looks bad. But I'm here to tell you, as we go back over to the Campy Classroom, that there is hope. Jonathan, let's, let's bring that back up again. I'm here to tell you that if you're Netflix, there is hope. There is. That's the good news. There are two things that you have to be hopeful of, if you're Netflix, right? A new tier. They are introducing a new cheaper level tier, a t- I think they're saying it's a $10 a month tier. Is it IR? Yeah, it's IR, sorry. Yeah. A new tier, it's not TI, sorry, I'm trying to type and talk at the same time. Yeah, there you go. They're introducing a new tier, a cheaper level tier that will attract or induce back, entice people who have left to come back with a cheaper level tier that will be ad supported. Another thing is, Ads are coming. If you are on one of the cheaper level tiers and you're a stockholder, they just announced the other day their partnership with Microsoft for putting ads on Netflix, right? This means, hey, the company I'm a shareholder of has a new revenue stream. New financial growth. Possibly. <laughs> so I mean that's the hope, right? New financial growth. Yay! So that's coming. That it should give you hope. Three. Um, what's the words? Uh you know. Uh, coming down hard on sharing. So basically password sharing. We've talked about this over the past couple of months that Netflix is about to roll out new security measures to really crack down on on password, illegal password sharing, which means you're going to see some people go, well, then I'm never going to use Netflix. But you are also going to see some people, damn it, now I don't have my free Netflix. All right, I'll subscribe to one of those things. That could equal a net gain in new subscribers. So... It looks bad. Today could be a complete apocalypse. But there is some reason to hope and to be optimistic if you are a Netflix uh, uh, shareholder in over the next year or so because there are these things coming that could improve Netflix's situation. Anyway, Rob, let's go over to you on this. Uh, you've read the articles. You know what today represents. Tomorrow I'm sure we're going to be talking about this because, hey, let me be – Balanced here. I said if it's over 2 million subscribers dropped, it's going to be really, really bad. Hey, they told people it's going to be 2 million loss. What if it's only 500,000 loss? I mean, that's still really bad, bad, but it's way better than they were warning people. So maybe then it won't be as bad. Anyway, you see all this. What's your takeaway? Well, first of all, I like Netflix.
1: Oh, I, I like, love Netflix. I, I like Netflix a lot. And I think one of the great things about Netflix is their international programming, which I don't think they get enough credit for. Squid Game was a result of that. Um, there's so much great worldwide programming. The movie RRR, which you should check into because it's really amazing. That's more people are going to get exposed to worldwide content. Nobody has better worldwide content than Netflix Uh, by a mile, by a uh, mile. uh, Their documentary content's excellent. And they're expanding into more, more houses in India. The problem is there's only, there's a finite amount of households around that they can access, but as they move into different countries and different territories, so there's going to be growth there and they're a great streaming service. They don't deserve to fail, you know, Another thing I think Netflix should do, I still don't understand how they can spend $200 million on a red notice and $220 million on the gray man and expect that 400 almost half a billion dollars to translate into some kind of subscribers that make it worthwhile. I can't imagine what they need to do. And by the way, nobody pays attention. If, if Netflix is going to release a movie in the theaters, a $200 million movie, nobody takes it seriously. They don't have the ad campaign. I, I mean... I don't understand why Netflix doesn't create a new distribution model, a theatrical distribution model. Don't call it Netflix. Come up with a new name so people don't think, oh, it's just a Netflix movie.
0: Well, I mean, in their defense, Amazon Studios has released a few movies under the yeah.
1: Amazon, and they've they, but, they've shown they can. But work. Amazon Studios even existed before they had their. Well, that's stream, you know what that's you know? a very
0: good point. They that's they had an
1: Amazon Studios was was they were prestige titles. They made things like Manchester by the Sea, yep. which was amazing. I think if a movie like 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 The Gray Man had a, a theatrical marketing campaign six months out there are trailers in the theaters you've got Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling in a movie and Anna Diarmas. I mean three you, of the biggest movie stars in the world right now you put those trailers in theaters for six months you could do a hundred million dollar opening weekend and then everyone knows that these particular movies are the only way to see them they're not coming out of home video they're not coming out no physical media they're not going to HBO they're only going to Netflix. They're gonna get if Gosh, you got Rob,
0: that sounds a lot like Disney Plus's strategy,
1: wow! Uh, right, right, and, and they're not doing pretty bad. Yeah, they're, they're doing, not doing all bad. right. And I'm thinking, why isn't that their strategy? Because they're the at least make their money back on that 200 million dollar spend. Well, and more importantly, because you've pointed this out before, right? You put
0: the Gray Man in theaters first. You give it a marketing campaign. You make back. One, two, three, four hundred million dollars. Especially worldwide. You get that movie into China? And then you put it on Netflix and even more people are going to be interested in watching on Netflix than if you skip the theatrical And and
1: I'll tell you something, because a 200 million dollar movie, when you put that on Netflix, it's no different than an episode or two hours of a reality show that they put on Netflix. It's all the same. Nobody's thinking to themselves, I gotta watch this because it costs 200 million dollars. They would watch it if they knew it was opening in the theaters, and there was word of mouth, and there was advertising, and they knew it was there. So it had value. The problem with Netflix movies like Red Notice is there's no value to them. They cost two hundred million dollars, but they're not. They're like no. It's the same two-hour block of time you're gonna watch anything, and that's why it's not working. We, you read that article. You found that article. We covered it on this show. Netflix original programming is not generating subscribers because nobody knows it's coming. Nobody mm-hmm. knows it's there. Even if you have The Rock and Ryan Gosling and you are uh, Ryan Reynolds and you have Gal Gadot in a movie, that should be in theaters. It should, people should be waiting for it. My mom would be like, oh, there's that movie with that big guy, The Rock. <laughs> right, is it on Netflix now? You know, I mean, my mom doesn't know, but if you, if you have trailers and she takes her grandkids to it they see a trailer for that movie I thought, look i i i majored in art history in school it's about an art heist I someday we have to actually
0: have your mom on the she's, show cause she's actually she doesn't <laughs> sound like that she's
1: actually good on camera but but it's like you know what i mean like none of they don't create any value to their really expensive programming and they're expecting it to generate subscribers why Why would you subscribe to Netflix to see a movie that you know nothing about? You know, what did the article say? I think the
0: article is saying something about how there was the survey done by the online firm and they said like out of the top, what, 20, 20 IPs that made the audience subscribe to a channel. Only one of the top twenty was a Netflix one. Yeah, they're not attracting subscribers
1: because with nobody their original knows content. what they are. Yeah, and look, nobody knew it. Squid Game had to build word of mouth. Now, yeah, it got there, but nobody was anticipating it, and I'm sure Netflix wasn't anticipating that Squid Game would suddenly because, become a water cooler title. And, and look at
0: Stranger Things season four. You, we can
1: talk about how Stranger Things season four broke all these viewership records.
0: Yes, but the underlying problem, and this is a problem, a systemic problem with the model, is that. Nobody signed up for Netflix for season four of Stranger Things. They were already fans of Stranger Things. Yes. and They were already subscribed to the channel. So, yay. It broke all of our viewership records. Yay. It didn't actually do anything for them.
1: I mean, you know, there, there's been talk. There's an upcoming uh, TV series coming out. And I was talking to the showrunner about it. I can't say what, what it is. But they were talking about releasing the final two episodes theatrically. Right. It's that good. Oh my which God. we've seen
0: the opposite. We've seen the first episode in humans. Oh my God. Release the first two episodes in theaters. Remember that?
1: <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if, if the last episode of Stranger Things, which was two and a half hours long, got was first released. release
0: in theaters for a couple of days exclusively?
1: Yeah. and it was the Hundreds ninth, of millions. Hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions. Uh, you would have got you, hundreds of millions and you've got eight episodes and then you lead into this two and a half hour finale only in theaters until it's not. Right. You know, and you're not going to see, why not do that? They got to innovate.
0: They got to innovate. Anyway, guys, listen, I'm sure this is going to be something we're going to pick up tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow will come and it'll be, you know what? It wasn't all that bad. Or we might be talking about how much time does Netflix have left? I mean, I, I don't know. It's a wide range of possibilities here. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this and all these articles and reports and research being done on what's going on with Netflix right now? What do you think is going to happen at the end of the day today? Do you think we're going to hear about a whole ton of lost subscribers? Or are you going to hear that things are actually pretty good? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic Number three, and I can't ask Chris because she's off at a gig. I can't ask Amy because she's in San Diego. I can't ask Aaron because she just got a new role on a big TV show. We'll tell you more about that later. So I'm going to ask Rob again. Rob, (laughs) what is our third main topic today?
1: Well, John, this is exciting. Byron M says, Dune was absolutely and easily my favorite movie last year. The only thing wrong with it was how abruptly (laughs) the movie ended. But even that just made me more excited for the sequel. I saw that they have finally started shooting part two, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what we should be expecting from the sequel and how excited you guys are for it. Thanks. I mean, listen, I I could not put into
0: words just how gorgeous and beautiful and, and wonderful Dune was. I mean, there has never been, there haven't been many, but there has never been a better iteration of the story of Dune put to screen than what they did here. What they did visually, and not just VFX for the sake of VFX, they leveraged visuals to tell the story, to immerse us into the world of Arrakis, where the spice must flow. Mm-hmm. Like they, they did such an incredible job bringing us there, and and putting us in that world. It was just incredible. And my wife, who knows nothing about Dune, nothing about Dune, that when we went to go watch this movie, this was her first ex- exposure to the story of Dune. It was over, it became one of her favorite movies of all time. And now she's counting down the days to when it's coming. And it's now finally being shot. Now I say finally because this movie should have been in production while the first one was coming out in theaters. <gasps> yeah. They absolutely didn't even, even mention, yeah, I kind of pitched them the idea hey, why don't we shoot these movies back to back? But they wanted to be cautious. And you know what? I'm never going to fault anybody for being cautious. That's fine. But we should be getting this movie coming out this month. But instead, it's shooting right now. And we now know, listen, we know a lot about this thing. Actually, they just released a brand new synopsis for part two. And this is what the synopsis is. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who wrote the following about the synopsis. The official Dune part two synopsis from Warner Brothers and legendary reads like this. This follow-up film will explore the mythic journey of Paul Atreides as he unites with Chani and the Fremen while on a warpath of revenge against the conspirators who destroyed his family. Facing a choice between the love of his life and the fate of the known universe, which is something that comes up at the end of part two, uh, he endeavors to prevent a terrible future that only he can foresee because he has the gift of sight, as we learned in the first one, right? Now, on top of all that, we've gotten a long laundry list of all the new things. My Number God. one, Elvis has entered the building. Austin Butler uh, has, has come in. He's playing the Harkonnen. We got Florence Pugh, who's playing the princess of the universe. Two of the hottest performers in the business right now. Austin Butler. Princess Irulan. Florence Pugh. Leah Sado has joined this film. She's playing Lady Margaret. Margaret. She's, I mean, so that's incredible. We've got... Christopher Walken. As the the Emperor Padishah Emperor I can't Shaddam IV of House Carino. Yeah, but that's not how Christopher Walken's gonna say it. You no. Know. <laughs> I, I cannot do a Christopher Walken. Paul Atreides. Like I, I can't I can't possibly do it. And then of course returning Javier Bardem and I, like, like this cast is not just big names. That's that's the thing about this cast. It's not just big names. It's super talent. You're talking about an Academy Award winner in Javier Bardem. You're talking about a multiple Academy Award nominee in Timothy Chalamet. You're talking about Leah Sado, and you're talking about Austin Butler, who's going to get nominated for an Academy Award this year. Yeah. You're talking about Florence Pugh, who by the time her career is done, she's going to have, I think, a couple of statues on her. Th- I mean, it just goes on and on. So we're seeing this incredible list of talent being added to an already incredible list of talent. The, the synopsis sounds great. Anyway, Rob, you take a look at this. The movie's now in production. It's the tangibilization of this thing. You read the synopsis that they're putting out for it. You're seeing all this new cast that's being added. What's your thoughts on it?
1: Well, first of all, John, you know, I, I, I call myself the viceroy of verisimilitude. Well, I didn't call myself that. Other people have called me that. I just adopted the name. Dune had peak verisimilitude. I don't think in the history of science fiction filmmaking, anything, verisimilitude is the quality of being real where you believe what you're watching. Dune is the most believable science fiction film in terms of everything looked absolutely real, from the ornithopters to the sandworms to the different planetary environments to all of Arrakis. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The sound design, that film's incredible. I expect nothing less of part two. The thing about part two is, unlike, say, the David Lynch film or, or even the TV miniseries, they kept the first part of the movie fairly simple. Yeah. They didn't introduce a lot of the other factions involved. They didn't inter- introduce... Not even the, a lot of the mythology. Not Yes. And they, they kept it simple, which I thought was smart. This, you're going to meet the, the emperor of the, of the known universe, the Christopher Walken, who was kind of the architect of this, pitting two houses against one another, or they needed to destroy Duke Leto because the, that family, the Atreides family, threatened the, the emperor's power because people like him, people like Duke Trady. So let's get rid of them all. So you're going to see a lot of political machinations. And then, of course, at the same time, you see... Paul Atreides basically become the Messiah that the has the been prophesied. The, yeah, yeah Muad'Dib. He was prophesized. Of course, we also find out that the Bene Gesserit sisterhood made up all those prophecies and seeded them into, so that's all a bunch of BS, but it doesn't matter. It all plays into, It's real, it's just great. It's going to be so much more action-packed. I can't wait to see I mean, battles on a massive scale when the millions of Fremen rise up, led by Paul Atreides, and take on the Harkonnens. Then you're going to have Paul fight Austin Butler, you know, fade Ralpha. Well, let's not give away all the details of part two for people who haven't read the book. Yeah, it's going to be a big, (laughs) action-packed, political thriller. I think it's going to be—dude, it's probably going to be one of the most satisfying— you can't call it a sequel because it's really part two. And, John, I hope it does really well because— I really want them to make this second book, which is Dune Messiah, where this, what happens at the end of Dune, engulfs the galaxy and billions of people die. I want to see that. Well, listen, <laughs> reg- I think this is going to be oh man. banger. This is an absolute banger. I mean, it doesn't get more banger.
2: This movie is now, to me, Florence Pugh. Featuring Dune parts.
1: <laughs> 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 well, viewed the movie. If they give her the the ornate dresses, I mean, I can't imagine what she's going to look like. She's going to and same with Leia. Well, look at the
0: costume design of Part my One.
1: My God, I mean, I can't wait to see the the Empress of the you know Princess Irulan. She's not the Empress; she's the Princess. But whatever she's dressed in, I just want to see a long. What is it? What is it called? A train? 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 A long. Tra- I I I love her. I want to see it. All right, guys. Questions for you.
0: What do you think about this? Dune Part 2 is now officially shooting. They're in front of cameras right now. People are acting. Film is being shot. What are you looking forward to the most? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four here, shall we? Rob, what is our fourth main topic today?
1: Well, John, our fourth main topic comes to us from Chris Tyler. Hey, John and crew. So the nope. Social embargo reviews have just come out and they are spectacular. Saying it's Jordan Peele's best movie yet and frightening, frightening, incredible. Frightening, I like that. Frighteningly frightening, Lee, incredible. Probably meant. Yeah, I know. It's, I like that. Are you guys excited for this film? Where are your guys' expectations with it? Thanks. You know, what, it yesterday during on the live show, when we got into the live question,
0: somebody wrote into the live question and said, Hey, you know, what do you think about the fact that they haven't lifted the review embargo? And I mentioned it's concerning because the official review embargo doesn't lift till 24 hours before the movie comes out. And that is normally not always a bad sign, but it is normally a bad sign. What we didn't know was that they were lifting the social media review embargo so that the critics could put out their initial thoughts yes. yesterday. Yeah. Right. Which is, which was four days away from the movie coming out. That's an accept. I mean, it's, it's a little short, but it's still an acceptable period of time when it came out. And I was relieved to see the reactions of this film because they're out of this world. They're literally absent. I mean, I, get it. I didn't even mean to pun. Out of this world. Here's some of the here's some of the reactions we're getting. Uh, Frank Pilato was writing, Nope is out of this world. A monster mash with great performances, especially Kalua, and a 50 sci-fi invasion motif, a spectacle about the horrors of spectacles. Jordan Peele has been compared to Hitchcock, but Nope shows that he's a next-gen carpenter. Uh, enjoy the show. And don't look up uh, a friend of mine, Mike Ryan writes, I really love note beyond the symbolism. There's a good amount of that. I think it really works as a fun alien movie in the spirit of tremors, yes. a movie. As I found out Jordan Peele loves, it feels like a summer alien movie throwback. Great fun. Uh, Kevin, uh Pol- writes, uh, the most important thing you need to know about Nope is it's crazy different from Get Out and Us. This is Jordan Peele spreading his wings and making big budget Spielberg-esque sci-fi but with the subtext you'd expect. Enter enter with an open mind and you will be rewarded. Heather Wixon writes, so the Nope movie is absolutely phenomenal in so many ways. Perfect blends together of sci-fi spectacle with a story that is uh, also something of a Hollywood reckoning and it blew my expectations away. Gorgeously shot. Uh, the sound mix Is thunderous. The cast all shines. I love, love, loved it. Shannon McGraw writes Nope is otherworldly, yet indescribable. From instances of sheer terror to heartfelt moments between the characters, Nope is an experience that won't be easy to shake off as you find yourself picking up your jaw from the floor. Jordan Peele has done it again, and that, of course. And listen, guys, it goes on. It, it It just goes on. I did not come across. A negative reaction. A lot of these times when the the initial reactions come out, we'll read a lot of the positive ones, but then there will also be other ones that temper it. I didn't read a single negative one. That doesn't mean there's not a single negative one out there. I'm just saying I I didn't read a single negative one. Now, I have been hopeful, but a little nervous going into Nope. Because like everybody else, I loved Get Out. Everybody loved it. Of course, I, I loved it. It was great. It was great. So I went into Us with very high expectations. I'm not going to lie. I I did not like us as much. I got the symbolism. I understand the the commentary he was trying to make and that's all good, but the movie still has to be a good movie. And yeah. to me, it wasn't horrible, wasn't terrible. It just I us did not work for me nearly as well as Get Out did. So, really looking forward to Nope, which which I think is one of the great titles for a movie in history to be honest with you the more I think about it. But I've I i I've been a little bit nervous about what we were going to hear coming out of it. And again, I wasn't, I was really nervous when I found out that they were limiting the review embargo till the day before the movie came out. That made me nervous. But again, they let the social media stuff lift. Listen, I am, number one, relieved to hear these um, reactions to the film. And it has re-sparked my excitement to get out there and see it. Anyway, Rob, you hear all these reactions. You've
1: read a bunch of them yourself. What do you think about it? John, this just made me Uh, this is the, this, they made this movie just for me, (laughs) Uh, just reading these social media things. I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted from it. I wanted Jordan Peele's unique social commentary combined with an alien invasion or whatever happens. Somebody says it's Carpenter esque. I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. There's nothing that people are saying that, and I, you know what I could tell, I love the tone of the trailers, especially with some of the music they use in the trailers and especially that last trailer, the imagery and all of that. Um, It it, to me, it's exactly what I had hoped it would be. It wasn't, whereas us wasn't. I I was really excited for us, and I thought the first half of us was really good. And and, and let's say the performances in us, Winston Duke,
0: uh, Lupita Nyong'o. I thought Lupita Nyong'o, honestly. Even though I didn't think the movie was all that great, I thought Lupita
1: Nyong'o should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for that movie. I, I, I To this day, I still believe You that. know, in a way, this might sound a little weird. I, I see Christopher Nolan's P- The Prestige and Us as having kind of the same problem. When you get to the end, you're like, what?
0: Yeah, the ultimate reveal of what the hook was. It's yeah, like, eh. I, was
1: like, I, I just didn't buy it. Come on. But but I still enjoyed the journey with both movies. I just was really let down by the, the end of it because I'm like, what? But this movie... Uh, I, I am so excited for this movie, an original movie that's not a tentpole, from an auteurist director, a writer director, who you know comes out of. Obviously, he loves. I mean, nobody loves movies more than Jordan Peele does. I was gonna
0: say nobody loves Liam
1: Neeson more than Jordan. Well, Peele does. yeah, I, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, yeah. but using <laughs> and, and you know, Key and Peele so often would would refer to movies and things, but oh, yeah. nobody comes up with that that Neeson's sketch without loving movies and not only understanding what why they love movies but understanding why we love movies and i dude i can't wait for this i'm so stoked i can't wait
0: yeah it's gonna be great ray i know this has been i is it fair to say it's been like right at the top of your excited excitement list right this
2: was like number one and now that i hear aliens are part of it Let's we gotta see this like right away. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't. I don't want to wait till the next day because stuff is gonna be out on social media. No, we're gonna go see Thursday I don't night. Hear anything? Let's go into this. It's gonna be. Woo-hoo. I'm gonna. Man, did some of these reviews got me super excited. We'll go and Thursday I, night. Uh, yeah, and I and and I like the brain of uh, Jordan Peele. What he did on that uh, Key and Peele, I found his uh, all those skits to be hilarious. So. It's, it may not be for a lot uh, some people, but it was definitely for me. I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I, this is very unpopular opinion.
0: I liked & Peele more than I liked the Chappelle Show, and 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 I I really liked the Chappelle Show a lot. But I'm just I I like Keen Peele. There was one sketch they did that I remember. Anne was the first one to show to me, and I laughed my guts. Did you ever see the one? The I said bitch. Ever, <laughs> that is one of the funny sketches because it's like that's exactly how Very attached clever. guys speak that's exactly how we speak so good anyway guys question is for you what do you think about these reactions we're seeing coming out of nope have you been looking forward to it are the reactions what you expected maybe you're like me and you're a little bit relieved to see what they're whatever your thoughts are jump down into the comment section below and leave those thoughts there all right guys with that down we're going to move on and now start taking your live questions so we are officially now going to open up the super chats so if you guys have a thought opinion question theory whatever you can throw those in now be a little bit quick about it because we only leave the super chat open for a few minutes and we'll get to those in just a second but before we do we want to take a second and thank another sponsor of today's episode the great folks doing great work over at better help Hey guys, we want to take a second and thank the sponsor of this video, BetterHelp. You know, in the age of social media, you might think that everybody's life except yours is perfect because everybody always posts the best memories, the most glamorous shots. But you and I both know that's not how life is. We get pitched some serious curveballs and sometimes it seems like a lot of them. And you know, we always encourage each other to get out there and to get into better physical health, going to the gym and eating right. But it's about time we started paying more attention to our mental health as well. And that's where our friends at BetterHelp come in. Because you see, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. You can log on to your account anytime and send private messages to your therapist, or you can schedule weekly or phone-only sessions if you're one of those people that's not really comfortable being on camera. And getting therapy every week is as easy as just a few clicks on your laptop or phone. It is time to invest in your own mental health. And BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. And right now they have a special offer for all of the John Campia show listeners to get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com campia. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com campia. And thank you to our friends at BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia show. All right. So I'm just going to take a second here. I'm going to mention that a bunch of people in the, in the live chat saying it just started, uh, that it started freezing. Just so you know, for those you can see this, it, it's not on our end. Our, our, we, we tested our connection just now. Everything is solid and fine on our end. Everything is working great. Uh, so you might want to uh, try reloading your page, see see what's up, and and we'll get back to it. Okay. So with that down, or were we able to get the Super Chats open?
2: I have Super Chats open. Okay.
0: Just a matter if uh, any comes through. Oh, nobody's uh, been able to see them. I, well, let's start off with, do we have any yeah, uh, yeah, from I the got, members that sent in?
2: I got two of them. One is from um, Cole Reed. He says the MCU and the John Campia show have the best casting of any franchise in history. Headphones in. Amy made me laugh so hard at work <laughs> that I really spat in my boss's face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's some gold that can come out of uh, that can come out of her. That's really good. So thank you so much for that. I
2: appreciate that very much, man. All right, what's next? And then I got one more. It's from Abraham Ruiz. He says I was worried for God of War going to Amazon since I think it'd be better as a film. But after seeing the great writing of the boys and the grand visual scope of lord of the rings i think i'm okay with it all right and i am too that, that that just seeing the trailer for uh lord of the rings man got a war might be something uh, uh
1: dude kratos man come on yeah i'd love to see that It'd be great
0: i i mean i hope it's great i mean there's like too. a lot of things like the lord of the rings like house of the dragon like any of that kind of stuff there are a million ways this could go bad and go south but we'll keep our fingers crossed all right what's next that's it that's That's it it on my end okay well listen guys it looks like a bunch of people are still having problems uh with their connections it looks like it's a youtube issue Uh, like our up up upstream is working perfectly fine
2: we do have supers coming in though now
0: Uh, we'll we'll probably have to answer them on tomorrow's show, so capture those and save those. So what we're going to do today, guys, we're going to wrap it up today since YouTube seems to be having some issues. Uh, Our apologies for that. It's completely outside of our control. Like I said, we've tested our upload. Our upload is working perfectly well, so this is a YouTube issue. Uh, I will contact YouTube and see if we can get on that. Uh, But for now, guys... That will do it for today's episode of the John Campia Show. Thanks a lot for being here. If you guys, if you're one of the few people who did get a super chat through, we will address it on tomorrow's show, so don't worry, it won't be lost. All right, guys, that'll do it for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.